Welcome to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, also known as the URM Jam, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we will address the real and perceived barriers faced by historically underrepresented in medicine students and residents who are considering a career in academic family medicine. We'll provide practical tips and personal advice on topics like leadership, scholarly activity, CVs, mentorship, and more. I'm Dr. Omari Hodge. And I'm Dr. Tochi Iroku Maliz. And this is URM Jam. Welcome to today's episode, which will detail the requirements for faculty in academic medicine. So excited to be here today with Dr. Kelsey and to be talking about this topic. Really excited to hear what we learned. Dr. Kelsey is a family medicine physician who is a program director for the Family Medicine Residency Program and the Assistant Dean for Graduate Medical Education at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. A graduate of Spelman College, Dr. Kelsey completed medical school at, and residency at University of Maryland School of Medicine, where she also served as chief resident and served on the faculty for several years before moving to Atlanta to join the Morehouse School of Medicine faculty. Since joining the faculty at Morehouse School of Medicine, she has held positions with responsibilities for teaching medical students, residents, and faculty. She's an active member of the Georgia Academy of Family Physicians and the National Medical Association. Throughout her career, she has provided health education in the lay community with a particular focus on African-American communities. Welcome, Dr. Kelsey. I love to have a fellow Morehouse compadre on the show, and we're so excited to what you have for, to, to share with us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. All right. So, yes, again, we are really, really happy to have you here today. So I'm going to kick it off. Our first question for you. Uh, you've served in a variety of roles and positions, as was detailed by your, by your bio. And um, we want you to please tell the audience a little bit about your journey and how you came to be the current program director at Morehouse. Sure. Well, I uh, have to start my journey very early, and I would say almost in elementary school. When oh, I wow. That. You went back. I, I, I enjoyed <laughs> teaching school. That's all right. Out there, pay attention. The Barney moments. Story, it's not going to be a long story, I promise. Okay. But, um, but, but it was, I really did, even, even at that time, know that I had an interest in a health career, and I also knew that I enjoyed teaching. So, you know, if I was finished with my work, I liked helping my friends with their work. But if we fast forward then to uh, when I was in uh, residency and um, particularly during my chief resident year and some of the work I was able to do around curriculum development with one of my co-chiefs and um, teaching co-residents and medical students was when I certainly knew that I wanted to have teaching as some part of my career. And so um, as I was completing residency and there was a opportunity to join the faculty where I was, then that's where I really began to hone in um, my skills, both in terms of my one of my areas of interest, which is in women's health, uh, and was able to do a lot of the intensive work around that. But then also uh, continuing to teach as I was caring for patients. And so when I moved to Atlanta and joined the faculty at Morehouse School of Medicine, it was really to to build out some of our women's health uh, services that we were offering in the Department of Family Medicine. Um, but as the as time passed and as there were needs in the department that, that became uh, apparent, then some of my time shifted to when, I, when we met Dr. Hodge was when I was actually the, uh, the clerkship director. So I was responsible for the family medicine clerkship at uh, Morehouse. And then uh, later, 
over time, as my family began to expand, I stepped some back from that. And um, the next role that I had, though, when I began to uh, increase my time back at Morehouse School of Medicine was in faculty development. And so while I was directing the faculty development program out, out of our National Center for Primary Care, I was still doing some teaching of residents. And I always enjoyed, you know, teaching residents, which very, very often or for a long time has been kind of my favorite group of residents to teach. And during that time, the faculty, excuse me, the, uh, the family medicine residency program at that time was looking to kind of transition out of that role and asked me to become the associate program director uh, and then later I became the program director. So that's kind of been the path um, with, uh, you know, kind of overstepping a lot of things that happened in the way. But I think it's really important to note that early on, I kind of did a self inventory in terms of what are the things that I like within um, medicine and in academic medicine and certainly um, teaching, caring for patients and kind of that um, critical thinking that you really need as part of a leader of a, um, a teaching a group of people, whether that be medical students, whether that be faculty or in this case, residents. Uh, so those, that's, that's kind of what my path looks like, looked like. You had mentioned the faculty development. When I was in residency in South Carolina, I remember that some of the instructors there would go back to um, Morehouse to do some of their faculty development. And I'm wondering if it's the same, the same thing that you were talking about at the NCPC. That's very interesting. Yes. Well, so I was uh, directing a modular program that, that we, um, at, at that time. And so the modular program took us through units that dealt with teaching in small groups, teaching in large mm -hmm. groups, um, writing for publication, uh, how to, uh, to develop budgets for, uh, for grants and things of that nature, you know, how to develop your, your teaching portfolio. So we had modules. And so what you may be talking about is an executive program that also came out of the uh, National Center for Primary Care. And with that, um, there were, you know, people who were really from all over the country who would do work uh, throughout their time in the program, but came for face-to-face -face, uh, time uh, with us. And it was on a quarterly, quarterly basis, if I recall correctly, that they came. Nice. Well, that kind of leads into the next question we have for you. Um, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think you probably have more that you can give the audience is explain to us a little bit about the qualifications specifically for your role. We heard about the, your path there, but what were the qualifications that made you a fit for a program to be a program director at Morehouse? Sure. Yeah. For any program director, certainly having a passion for teaching, having a passion for residents, that very special time uh, of our development when a person has completed their medical school training, but is not quite ready to practice autonomy, autonomously. And so having a passion for bringing a, uh, a physician from the point of just completing medical school until, you know, and, and to take them into the point when they're ready to, in fact, um, do that. So certainly that passion is important. Um, also, uh, great leadership skills, um, the ability to interpersonal skills and working with, with others, uh, certainly under the ability to understand and apply requirements. As we know, working in this space, the uh, ACGME has very clear, very strict requirements that we must uphold. And so looking at those requirements and having the ability to kind of really assess where the program is related to those and to ensure that the program uh, remains compliant with those requirements and also some creativity 
in terms of being able and some and some vision in terms of thinking about okay so how do we make sure that we're consistent with the requirements but also find ways that we can grow and expand as a program and do some innovative work uh, in, in in areas that are um, that are of interest to the uh, the residents who are training and that fit into the niche of the institution so um, so certainly those kinds of skills are are all very important when you mentioned creativity, as you were saying, and I was just nodding my head, being a, a former program director myself, if you've seen one program, you've seen one program. Absolutely. Uh, with all the all of us have had the same requirements, but all of us had different resources and That's different right. environments, and yeah. uh, you know, and so you had to be very creative and innovative in the way you were uh, able to follow those guidelines and yet bring um, graduate competent family physicians who are able to take care of the communities that they wanted to serve. And okay. so, yes, creativity and innovation is key. Uh, but yes. go ahead, you were going to, you were, you were saying? Sure, yeah, no, then I was just also going to say having excellent negotiation skills, there will be uh, times when there's an experience that your residents need. And so having the ability to go into a space and, and and talk with the powers that be within that space to create opportunities for your residents to to rotate, um, and then even within the department, you know, in terms of negotiating for uh, for faculty allocations to teach within residency. I mean, we know that um, some teaching time, you know, of course, every institution has different kind of models in terms of the way that they uh, that they fund their their faculty and provide funding but but you know when you think about traditionally that um, time that is purely educational is often unfunded unless there is in, in terms of you know when you look at it, it being directly tied to a uh, clinical revenue or to research dollars or things like that the teaching time has to come from the institutional budget in many instances and so being able to negotiate for those FTEs um, to ensure that you have adequate faculty available to teach um, so those negotiation skills become very important also and having some uh, a lens towards academic medicine. So, um, I mean, sorry, uh, scholarly activities. So, you know, writing for publication, understanding the, the basic processes that, um, that are the, the basic components of research so that you're able to serve as a uh, mentor to residents as they're doing their own research uh, and can encourage and be a model for, um, for, for scholarly activity for your residents. All of those things are important. And, you know, my having had the background in faculty development, certainly the ability to also um, to develop faculty and others is an important skill to have as a um, as a program director. And so, yeah, so you've you've touched on a number of skills that are very, very important, but not to dissuade those of you listening out there. All of us who joined this, uh, who got into this role, didn't have all of this, all of these skills. Uh, it's important. So to glad know you what said you, that. <laughs> I, listen, because when you were talking, I was about to say, for the rest of us on Earth, how do we get? How do, how do we get so yeah, so, there. yeah, so that's that's yeah. what I'm gonna say. So just don't be discouraged. It's mm -hmm. under, it's important to understand the skills necessary. Know what you know and know what you don't know, and that's why you have a team to that's help team. you, right? You yeah. have resource, you have mentors above you, and then and then you have a team that you pull in. And so speaking of teams, what are the some of the requirements for the faculty that work with and for you? 
Yes. So as part of that team, and we're going to circle back to that piece, too, on developing those those um, those skills that kind of bring you to the point where you're a program director that has those things. But um, so for the team, the requirements for the team, again, you know, the passion for teaching people who have demonstrated themselves as being um, competent from a medical knowledge and patient care standpoint. So they've, um, you know, actually can serve as models to residents. Uh, and then uh, and then, of course, the even the ACGME requires that they be board certified, particularly for the course, the core faculty. And so, you know, that's the foundation and it's the passion and it's the ability to serve as a mentor and to be an example and all of those things that um, that we really hope for as well in in faculty and and uh, and, you know, and help to develop that too in, in um, faculty, the other those other skills like being able to give feedback, which is important. That's um, key that that our faculty are able to give feedback, both verbal uh, and in written form. And so, um, so I would say th those are kind of the basic requirements. And um, and then we are regularly doing development over time uh, in order to to continue to build on those um, those foundational skills. I'm gonna throw a little part B in there, and I think the best way to phrase this question, and if I phrased it wrong, you probably will understand what I'm trying to ask. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're faculty now and you've gotten that far. Prior to jumping into becoming a program director, did you ever really feel fully ready? In other words, was there a level of, I can't think of a better word other than the imposter syndrome that you had to overcome before you made that journey there? Yeah, you know, I think that we always... We will always, I think, just being in this this space, have a sense that there's more to know, that there's something, another skill to develop, another competency that we can be better at. And I think that's part of what um, brings us here is that we have we we are kind of a a cadre of lifelong learners, and so mm -hmm. kind of that sense of. I don't know if I would say um, not ready, but always recognizing that there is a need to grow and there's room to grow okay. and many opportunities to grow. And I think, and I would add that as really in many ways, um, one of those things that you kind of need to have when you're in academic medicine. Um, one of those things I think that draws us to academic medicine in some way. I, I, I agree yeah. with that because um, if you don't have a thirst for knowledge yourself, mm -hmm. how can you then encourage others to have that same thirst because if you're teaching if you're you know participating in education uh you need your learners to really want to you have to embed in in, in embed in them i guess that yeah. that 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 thirst that passion right, right. to yeah. to come and learn no more because yeah. i believe he, a humble teacher will do the best uh, because they know they don't know it all uh, and then they're going to pull their learners in and say, okay, let's learn together. Because at the right. end of the day, we're always, we're always looking for new knowledge and we want our learners to, to emulate that, right? So mm -hmm. I, I a thousand, thousand percent agree with what you said. Yeah. And being on this side of the fence, I can say that's definitely how you were, Dr. Kelsey. I, I, I remember vividly our time when I was at Morris House, even as short as it was, my little clerkship. But I never felt intimidated to come and talk to you or ask you a question. You gave off those vibes, which was which I really appreciated. And that was for most of the faculty there. There weren't really many people who I can I would walk in their office and felt um, intimidated, or you know, you always feel like you're going to ask a stupid question. Mm -hmm. um, um, but that that aura wasn't there, so you, you've done it well. Let me ask you one last question: What are the steps that residents and students need to be taking right now? 
to be ensured that if if they if they want a career in academic medicine, that they are prepared to do so. I kind of took a circuitous route to get there, but some people may want to go direct and they want to make sure that they're on the right path. So what 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 suggestions would you have for them? Sure. Yeah. So a few things. Um, one would be to have a sense of within academic medicine, if there's a particular area of focus that you'd like to have. So in other words, um, within academic medicine, of course, we know that there is, you know, clinical, primarily clinical teaching. We know there's research. We know there are, you know, those who are um, primarily teaching. And then, you know, there's administration. And so depending on kind of where within academic you'd like to see yourself uh, be, then build, beginning to build the, um, the skills and the knowledge base um, that is necessary for you to eventually move into that area, which means then too, that you have mentors. Um, You talk to some of the people who are doing what you'd like to see yourself do. And um, and ask them to you know really mentor you and work with you as you you know as opportunities become available for programs or committees within organizations and things like that that can help to um, to to guide you in that direction. Now I would say also um, within a specific academic interest that maybe say in my case it was women's health it may be obesity for somebody it may be you know hypertension and to find maybe somebody who's working in that area so that you can do some writing with them so that you can, you know, maybe do some research that they may be working on, uh, doing special um, uh, workshops and, you know, attending, doing some CME before you're at the point where you're, you know, even required to do CMA, but seeing, beginning to develop, develop that area of what you would like to see become your expertise, because then what that does is it shows a trajectory on which you're headed. And so if there is an institution that has an interest in, say, building out an area that you that you that you've begun to demonstrate has been. I mean, of course, you know, you're not an expert coming out as a medical student, but at least you've shown that you have that area of interest and an institution that has some people who are working in that area may say, oh, this is somebody who would be good to mentor. This is somebody who can continue this work as, you know, as, you know, just kind of for succession planning and things like that. So really beginning to develop an area of interest and show kind of a trend within that. Now that does not pigeonhole you in that area, certainly. It just shows that you have um, begun that process of, of, of building those academic muscles, so to speak. And um, so that would be one thing. And then, like I said, having the mentorship is so important. Um, certainly within organizations that have committees or that have interest groups uh, that are in that area, then joining those interest groups within the organizations uh, is helpful because that also, you, you become, you're around like-minded people, and then you also can have the mentorship at the even at the medical student and at the resident level uh, of people who are doing what you would like to see yourself doing later. Yeah, I was going to add that um, I know one of the things we would do is that we would have students and residents co-teach sessions, right? You know, so we had the faculty already available. So if you're a student or a resident out there, approach your faculty, say, can I be part of this next session? Can I do this with you? Can I do this workshop with you? Uh, Can I do this presentation with you? You know, and we've all seen it where we're up there and then a proud faculty member says, and now my student is going to do the next Mm -hmm. few slides (laughs) and they step aside and the student gets up there and they do, you know, but that's, that's Mm -hmm. the beginning of it. Right. So, yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Indeed. And, yes. And yes. So and to that end, um, you know, when you see opportunities for resident or student presentations at conferences, absolutely. I mean, there have been some times that I've sat at um, conferences and said, oh, yeah, we need that person in our program. <laughs> and so, you know, so that's recruitment, how recruitment, recruitment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I know Dr. Hodge said that that was a final question, but I've got another one for you. Now, we talked about students and residents, but what about those family physicians that are out there like Dr. Hodgins, how he came about becoming an an academic uh, physician? What can those family physicians who are not currently in academic medicine do to start on that path towards academic medicine? You know, that's, that's a wonderful question, and it really highlights something that is a um, is a bi-directional need, but what I'm going to suggest is that, you know, serving as a preceptor for medical students and residents uh, is, is can can help to to um, kind of uh, put someone in the direction of becoming more involved with teaching. And we know across institutions, you know, nationally, that that is a need, you know, is to have people to serve as preceptors for their learners um, as both the UME space and the GME space expands, there's that that need, there's an ongoing need for that. So someone who's not in academic medicine, you know, one of the ways would be to begin to um, allow residents and medical students to come to your space, you know, to your to your office uh, to uh, where you can, can uh, work with them. That's one way. And then within our uh, academy, so the Georgia Academy of Family Physicians, for example, has an educational and research committee. Any family physician, any member of the GAFP can join that can join that committee. And so on that committee, we're responsible for developing the curriculum for the conferences that we have and um, and and other educational um uh, offerings that the Georgia Academy has. And so that would be one, another way is working in, in some committee work uh, to the extent that, you know, anybody can write a letter to the editor. So, you know, so beginning to do some, you know, some publication, even if it's just that, even if it's just a, a letter to the editor. So there are, there are activities that one can engage in that will begin to prepare them for academic medicine if they are not, if they're a practicing physician uh, who's not previously been involved in academic medicine. So those are some of the things that can be done. You know, certainly attending um, attending uh, conferences and attending the particular sessions that are for people in academic medicine, even if you're not, uh, that, you know, those are, those are all some of the activities that one can engage in that will prepare them for a career in academic medicine. And I would just say, finally, um, would just be to to engage in a academic family medicine department to just, you know, kind of go to, you know, you, you just really never know what going and engaging them may do. Um, whether it's to offering to give a talk for um, for didactics for the residents and medical students, whether it's um, spending some time there in the in the clinic if there's a you know if there's some if they will allow that, uh, and then just kind of making your interest known and and there and you can find even some mentorship around how to do that as a practicing physician. So those are those are some of the things that that one could do. I'm going to put a plug out because you said offer to do didactics or, or sessions or, you know, grand violence, please. 
Uh, reach out to me <laughs> for my <laughs> uh, we are always looking for someone, especially in the well world said. of Zoom virtual. Uh, yeah. This is yeah. you don't have to travel. You don't have to leave your house. You don't right. have to leave your house. You could be you could be far. You could be you could t teach in any place across the country and even internationally. Right. So That's yes, right. uh, please right. <laughs> reach out to any of us. We're always looking. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Kelsey, we're going to leave you with the final words. Do you, do you have some uh, any final points or words of wisdom, any pearls for those who are listening? Sure. I would say, you know, take take time to do a self inventory, you know, decide what it is that you want to do and then begin to plan um, for that, which I guess would be the second pearl would be the importance of planning and and um, and beginning to create that um, that path for yourself through mentorship, through the kinds of things that I described that one can do to kind of set themselves up for a career in academic medicine. Uh, and then also to be open though. Uh, and, and this was one of the things that we didn't go into a lot of detail on, but, but I was open to, um, to learning new things and new roles and accepting being part of committees at the institution and things like that. And all of those things really helped to um, build a number of the competencies that I talked about. And um, and then finally would be to reassess along the way and to constantly uh, to do, do uh, participate and engage in those kinds of activities that will help to continue to develop you. And that's one of the things that I also didn't talk a lot about, but definitely participate in a lot of um, kind of developmental programs and things that did that have helped over over the years. Thank you so much for being here with us today. You've been very insightful and we appreciate your time. I totally echo those words. It was wonderful and insightful. And I'm sure our listeners are thrilled and appreciate it as well. Well, thank you again for having me. I so appreciate it. And you as well should be applauded for this work that really is a great service to the family medicine community. So thank you. You've been listening to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast providers, as well as on our website at stfm.org slash urmjam. Follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. 